Welcome to the Word of God, and we're so glad that you join us for another edition. And we are looking at our lectionary scriptures for this week, which are from 1 Kings, Acts, and Mark. And they are listed in the podcast. So when you look at those, and it's listed by date, Monday, Tuesday through Sunday. So my recommendation to you is you read those on a daily basis. What I want to do in this podcast is give you an idea of basically what they're talking about, maybe some ideas about what to look for, what scriptures to look for, and then to make that a daily part of your devotional life. What you're seeking to do is by knowing the Word of God better, you're establishing or reestablishing and strengthening your relationship with Christ through the scriptures. You're also prayerful about what God is saying in the scriptures. Now, as I've said many times, we have an Old Testament reading that we share with you each week. We have a series of New Testament readings, in this case, the book of Acts, and then we'll have James next week. And then we always have a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So we're always studying on a regular basis what Jesus is doing. All right, let's jump right in. We are in 2 Samuel 24. Now, 2 Samuel is what is called a history book. The scriptures after that, as you'll notice on Monday through Sunday, Saturday, Monday through Saturday, are another edition of the history books, the book of Kings. And there's 1 Kings and 2 Kings, much like 1 and 2 Samuel. And then after this, there'll be 1 and 2 Chronicles. Okay, so 2 Samuel, we've talked a lot about David. And what we're going to see as we go into 1 Kings, instead of 3 Samuel, there's no 3 Samuel, there's a 2 Samuel, and then there's 1 Kings. We're going to be talking about his son, Solomon. All right? So as you go into 1 Kings, Chapter 1, verse 1. When King David was old and well advanced in years, he could not keep warm even when they put covers over him. So his servant said to him, Let us look for a young virgin to attend the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our Lord the king may keep warm. Then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful girl and they found her. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. I will be king. Now, God gets to determine who the king is, ideally. Once people start figuring out that they're going, to be, they're going to be king and they start clamoring for who is going to be king, we have lots of problems. And so chapter 1 of 1 Kings is about a person that wants to be king. The only problem is that's not who God wanted to be king. So read chapter 1 very carefully and enjoy that tete-a-tete. In 1 Kings' second half of it, you'll find that David makes Solomon king. The king took an oath, verse 29. As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out today what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. So, we have someone that wants to be king, that makes himself king, and then we have someone whom God wants to be king, and that is 
David and Bathsheba's son, Solomon. And so Solomon is anointed king by Zadok, verse 39. Chapter 1, Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. So that is the official, that is the official way, description, uh, event that makes Solomon the king when the prophet pours the oil over him. Chapter 2, we have Solomon's char David's charge to Solomon and we have the first four verses of chapter two. This is very good, and you might want to mark this. I've marked it in my Bible, and this is good for all of us. When the time drew near for David to die, verse one, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, show yourself a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. So here's what he requires. Walk in his ways, keep his decrees and commands, Keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as is written in the law of Moses so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. Here's his promise. If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So God is telling us how he wants us to live. Be strong, show yourself a man, observe the Lord's requirements, do what God says, be obedient to the law of God. And then secondly, the promise that God Almighty, 2 Samuel chapter 7, remember that one? The promise that he makes, how if God will do this for Israel, if your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with their heart and soul that I will bless you. So brothers and sisters, we need to walk faithfully before the Lord. We need to have the fear of God. We need to keep the law of the Lord. We need to ask God to help us to do his will. And amazingly, that's in 1 Kings chapter 1 and chapter 2 as we transition from David to the next king. Remember the first king was Saul, whom the Lord did not support because he did not obey the Lord. And then the Lord told Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons who happened to be in the field, the eighth one. David came in and he was anointed by Samuel. David becomes king and serves very faithfully, although he did have some problems with Bathsheba. Remember, we discussed that. And now we go to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is a very famous chapter because Solomon asks for wisdom. Now, why is that extraordinary? It's extraordinary because he's not asking for power or gold or to get richer. He's asking for wisdom. What does he say in verse 9 of chapter 3? So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. But for who is able to govern this great people of yours? Basically, the Lord says, I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon thinks about it, reflects upon it, and says, you know what? I got to lead all these people. I'm going to need some wisdom. I'm going to need a discerning heart. I'm going to be, be able to distinguish between right or wrong. Now, one of the great books of the Bible that Solomon participated in is the book of Proverbs. And it's a fabulous book because it tells us how God wants us to live. So I commend that to you very highly. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked this, verse 10 of chapter 3, 
So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, for, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there never may be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. You're going to be so great, Solomon, and I'm going to bless you with so much wisdom that no one will ever be like you again. Now, if Solomon can keep the words of his father David in chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, he will be in great shape. But if he doesn't, we're going to have lots of problems. Let's then go to 1 Kings chapter 5 and 1 Kings chapter 7 and verse 8, chapter 8. <clears throat> now, in chapter 5, we're talking about building the temple for the Lord. Verse 5 of chapter 5. I intend, therefore, to build a, build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I will put on the throne in your place, will build a temple for my name. Remember I told you several weeks ago that David was not going to build the temple, that God was going to build the temple, and David was not. So now is the time for Solomon to build the temple of God. Remember, God had walked around for a long time with a tabernacle, something that moved. Now we're going to put the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, we're going to put it in the temple. And this is going to be a very, very holy, very, very holy place. So chapter 5, enjoy that. This is the idea of building the temple. In 1 Kings chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7, we have the furnishings for the temple. Now, if you'd like to read, it's not required for the reading, but you might want to read chapter 6, which talks about the building of the temple by Solomon and the preparation for building the temple. And we go through the furnishings and how God wants it. And what you'll notice there is how specific God wants it. God wants it for himself, for his glory, and there are specific ways that God wants it built, specific measurements, specific things that are put in the temple, so they had to obey it perfectly. And in chapter 8, we have the ark finally brought to the temple. Verse 20 and 21. Beautiful and very important verses. Chapter 8. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel. Just as the Lord promised, and I have built the temple for the name of the Lord God, the God of Israel. So Solomon's on the throne. God kept his promise to David, and the temple has been built. I have provided a place there for the ark in which the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of Egypt. So he saves them out of Egypt. He gives them the promised land. He destroys their enemies. He raises up men and women to lead. And now finally, the ark is brought to the temple. And there's a place for the ark to reside. This is a fabulous day for the people of God 
and a very, very high point for Solomon. So enjoy the first eight chapters of 1 Kings, and you'll also notice in the reading that we are to read the last chapter of 2 Samuel, one of the last acts of King David. All right, let's turn now to Acts chapter 26. Now, Acts has 28 chapters. Acts is a book written by Luke, and it's very much a history book. The predominant theme is what God is doing as his son is resurrected and ascends into heaven. He sends into heaven in Acts chapter 1. The Holy Spirit comes down in Acts chapter 2. Paul is saved in Acts chapter 9. And Paul takes three major missionary journeys and then finally embarks to Rome. Peter is also discussed, as well as people like Barnabas and Timothy and Silas and Mark, John Mark, and Luke. So it is their exploits, their evangelism, their apologetics as they defend the gospel, and the way that they are uh, tortured and beaten and um, have to take the gospel in difficult places and how they suffer for the gospel. Paul was imprisoned several times in his ministry. All right, we are in Acts 26. Now, if you followed and read through Acts 25, you'll see that Paul got arrested in Jerusalem and they were going to have him killed. The Romans stepped in and saved him. If he had not been a Roman citizen, he would have died. They took him to Caesarea in the dark of night because the Jews were going to kill him, even though they were, he was in Roman hands. And there was an imprisonment before Felix, chapter 24, and the trial before Festus in chapter 25. And King Agrippa comes into the scene at the end of 25. Now, in the famous 26th chapter, much like chapter 9 and 22, Paul is going to make a plea for his life and for his ministry in Christ. Agrippa said to Paul, verse 1, chapter 26, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, and he goes from there. This is a fabulous text. Fabulous, and it's important. It's very important because it recalls his journey to Damascus, his encounter with Jesus, what Jesus tells him to do, and it's actually got quite a bit of good theological material. For example, verse 20. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That's good theology. Verse 23, that the Christ would suffer and the first, and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his people and to the Gentiles. So Jesus Christ suffered. He was raised from the dead. He proclaimed light first to his people, the Jews, and then to the Gentiles. So the ministry was not just to the Jews or not just to the Gentiles, but to both. I loved Festus in verse 24, I love this line. 
At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. So they thought he was crazy. And Paul responded, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, King Agrippa. And I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time that you could persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul responded quite brilliantly, short time along, I pray that God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. So he appeals to Caesar and they would have let him go. Last verse, verse 32 of chapter 26. But he appeals to Caesar in chapters 27 and 28, which is the end of Acts. He sails for Rome. And it's quite a wonderful story because there's a storm. They should have died. But God is going to stand by Paul. God is going to make sure that Paul gets to Rome. There's a shipwreck. There's a lot of difficulty, heartache. Chapter 27 is very interesting, particularly those of you that love boats and disasters. In chapter 28, he arrives at Malta, a small island, and then goes to Rome, and he preaches at Rome under guard. Read the end of chapter 28. For those two whole years, Paul stayed there at his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So what you'll see in those last couple of chapters is this extraordinary boat ride, if you will, or ride to Rome, which he gets, uh, which he gets there, and he could have died many, many times. He, is, he encounters a poisonous snake, and he is miraculously healed. Verse 8 of chapter 28. He arrives in Rome. The brothers heard that they were com he was coming. And they took care of Paul while he was in prison. We do believe that Paul wrote some letters while he was in Rome. And so historians try to figure out his, his um, captivity in Caesarea, his captivity in Rome. What did he do? What did he preach? Who did he speak to? What letters did he write? So that closes Acts for some time now. So what we'll do beginning next week when we look at James, we'll be looking at epistles and studying the New Testament epistles, okay? Acts is a wonderful book and very, very important to the church. We are also at the end of our gospel. We, we are in Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. Remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Verses 14 to 27. And what he's going to be talking about is the end of the age, 14 to 27. The coming of the Son of Man, which that's going to look like, all right? If you want to be ready for the coming of Jesus. Then we have 13, 28 to 37. And of course, he tells us, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. 
Be on your guard. Be alert. Is everyone out there in the audience ready? You don't know when that time's going to come. You don't know when Jesus is going to come. You don't know when he's going to come for you or he's going to come for us. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house in charge of his servants, each with the assigned task. And he tells one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch. You do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch till you want to be ready because this is an eternal consequence. You do not want to miss the coming of the Lord. He then goes into chapter 14, and now we prepare ourselves for the death of Christ. Remember Mark has 16 chapters. The 16th chapter is about the resurrection. The 14th and 15th about his preparation for death and his actual death. So when you were reading through chapter 14, you'll see that he's anointed at Bethany. Then the, he, we take in the Lord's Supper. Then Jesus is going to predict Peter's denial. Remember that? I tell you the truth, Jesus said, verse 30, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Peter insists emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Let's not forget that. All the others said the same. Then he goes to Gethsemane where he sweats drops of blood. He asked that the Lord would take this from him, his father, and he says, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus is then arrested by the Romans when Judas kisses him and he is taken into captivity. And what we will do next week is pick up Jesus' death and resurrection next week in the readings for the Word of God. Enjoy your reading this week. Uh, pr be prayerful about it. Again, you want to get the context of what they're saying for that time, and then properly understood, then you want to get the context for this time and what the Lord may be saying to you. God bless you and have a good week in the Word of God.